Well, for any of you who are Canadian in our congregation, I know there's a handful of you. I just want to say happy Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I know it's Thanksgiving weekend and uh, we don't want to forget about you. And my, my family and I, we celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving uh, last night. And um, it's one of the great joys of being an uh, international family is that you get multiple turkey uh, dinners, which is a lovely thing. Uh, friends, this morning we are uh, continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. And this week and next week, we encounter Jesus, the wise counselor. At the beginning of the sermon, Jesus spoke to us as a benedictor, as one who spoke blessings over us. And then he spoke to us as kind of a commissioner, as one who told us of our missional identity as salt and light, a city set in a hill. And then he did like five consecutive weeks of heart surgery where he talked about everything from anger to lust, to the way we use words, to the way we treat our enemies. And then he did the last three weeks of spiritual direction where he talked about giving, praying, and fasting, those core spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. And now he speaks to us as a wise counselor. And this week in particular, he addresses three crucial topics for every human life. First, investments. What do you invest in? Where do you invest? Second, worldview. What is your big picture guiding view of the world and of life? And then third, your love or your devotion or your service. Who do you serve? Whom do you serve? And I think in each of these cases, the key to understanding how Jesus approaches these topics comes in verse 25, which is actually not in our gospel reading. But let me read it for you. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Whenever you see therefore in scripture, you have to go to what precedes it in order to understand what Jesus is connecting to. And so the therefore tells us that Jesus sees somehow an intimate connection between our experience of anxiety in life and the way we make decisions about investments, worldview, and our devotion. Now, this is not me denying that there are complex physiological, psychological, and emotional dynamics to anxiety, which we cannot all cover here but simply to say that Jesus wants to point us to some core spiritual and moral dynamics that are involved. He wants to speak to us candidly and boldly because he doesn't want us to be anxious about our lives. Given all that's going on, I think anxiety has been a common experience for people in recent days and weeks and months. And so this is a timely word to us from our Lord. So let's take Jesus' topics one at a time and see how it pans out. The first one, investments. Human beings are investors, and our hearts follow our investments. Human beings are investors, and our hearts follow our investments. Verses 19 to 21, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin or rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin or rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The key distinction Jesus makes in, in these few verses is between heaven and earth. He, he simply assumes that every human being invests in something somewhere stores up treasures for some purpose somewhere. The question, according to Jesus, is where? 
heaven or earth. And the distinction, I think, is not ultimately about morality, although that's involved, like heaven and earth is a, is a good and evil thing. I think Jesus is getting much more at our sense of where does our security lie? The distinction between heaven and earth is a distinction between secure and insecure. And so Jesus is asking us, from where does your heart seek and derive its ultimate security? Where do you store up treasures? I think it's from this perspective that we can kind of discern the organic link to the experience of anxiety in our lives. For all too often, the accumulation of wealth or possessions is not simply about esteem and pleasure, but often about what gives us security in life. And the opposite of security is in many respects anxiety. Your heart will follow your investments in your treasures. That's the crux of the matter for Jesus. And he's saying that the state of our heart will reflect the relative stability or instability of where our investments lie. Now, you know that in the Bible, the heart is kind of seen as like the control center, the integrating control center of the human person. It takes all the data that we receive in life from kind of mind, will, and emotions and integrates and guides the way that we live our lives. If our heart is invested in and derives its security from earthly things, Jesus is telling us, then anxiety will arise in our hearts. And these earthly things can be many things. They can be things from cars to houses to 401ks to promotions, to political power, to fame, to cultural influence. Jesus, I think, is saying that all of these realities are inherently, in some sense, insecure. I mean, just think over the last eight months of the volatility and the up and down of the economy and the stock market. Jobs and markets are not secure in this season of life. And according to Jesus, Anxiety in our lives comes from investing in things that are ultimately insecure. And things are ultimately insecure, according to Jesus, because they are able to be corrupted. And this is where Jesus' kind of three images come in. The moth represents the way in which nature's corruptions can eat away at our things. The rust or the worm represents the way in which history or time's corrosions can eat away at our investments. And the thief represents the way in which humanity can kind of eat away at our investments. And so you have nature, time, and humanity making things of this earth insecure in some way. And so I think Jesus is kind of presenting us with a very pastoral question in one sense. Like in this season, if my heart is feeling quite unsettled and anxious in this season, Maybe, just maybe it's worth asking myself, may it be because I've invested in realities or agendas or, or parties that are inherently insecure? Or the question could be flipped around in, in a different way. How is God inviting me in the midst of a season of great insecurity? How is he inviting me to steward my resources so as to invest in ultimate realities in heaven that are ultimately secure? I think helpful guidance in some of these questions comes from Paul, the Apostle Paul himself. He's giving advice to Timothy, his, his young protege and disciple in 1 Timothy 6, and he says this to Timothy. 
He says, command those who are rich in this present life, in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, says Paul, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, and listen to this, they will lay up treasure, the same language as Jesus, for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I think uh, a famous missionary once summarized this biblical passage really well. He said, he or she is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So the first thing Jesus wants us to see is that as human beings, we are investors. And wherever we we kind of seek to drive our ultimate security from, our hearts will follow our investments. And that if we invest in things that are insecure, then we will naturally experience anxiety when those things are corroding away. And so Jesus invites us to invest in things that are of heavenly and eternal significance. Now, the second thing Jesus gets us to. He says, human beings are visionaries and our lives will follow our vision. Human beings are visionaries, and our lives will follow our vision. So we get this in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body, says Jesus. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I think Jesus, by pointing to this imagery of eyes, which we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount already, is pointing us to something quite large scale here. He's saying that every human being has an imagination or has a worldview, an overarching vision and image of reality and life. It's not a matter of if you do or if you've thought intentionally about it, but just simply like what is your big picture view of the world that guides how you live? And Jesus, I think, is suggesting that if your vision, your eyes, if your vision of God or of others or of the world or of yourself is in some way distorted or out of focus, then your whole life will become out of focus and even to the point of becoming filled with darkness. So like you have to make sure your imagination and your worldview and your heart and your mind are healthy. And then your body and the way you live your life will be healthy as well. And so I think the question that Jesus is kind of presenting to us is what fills your imagination in this season? What shapes your worldview? And maybe what clouds your vision of reality or distorts your vision of reality? I suspect that maintaining clear vision is potentially one of the biggest challenges for the disciple of Jesus in the present moment. There are so many competing voices like vying for our attention and so many people vying for our votes and so many agendas vying for our devotion. I mean, just the last couple few weeks 
every day I come home, my mailbox is just full of like five or six voter pamphlets and, and, and propaganda posters. And that's just in snail mail. That's, that's not even to mention virtually, like every advertisement and tweet and newsfeed is trying to tell me what to think and who is good and who is bad and what horrible thing's gonna happen if I don't get with the program. And it's easy in this season of kind of competing images and, com and competing narratives and competing voices to, to have our vision clouded or, or in some way to lose focus on what story we're living in and what God is up to in his world. And if left unchecked, the kind of constant jostling of our hearts and minds by news cycles and current events, it can, it can slowly whittle away and distort our vision of reality and of one another. I mean, there's, there's a number of ways that, that this can happen. And I think that this is happening for the church in some ways in this season. I mean, I think of in, in the conversations that um, I've been listening in on, and even when I look at my own heart, I just see how easy in this season it is for our vision to be distorted by hypocrisy or by a, self of, a sense of self-righteousness, which has to enter into self-defensiveness. And so I see how easy it is for me and for others to cast blame at one another and to fail to acknowledge our own faults to see the speck in our brother or sister's eye and to fail to see the log that's in our own eye. How easy it is for us to think of ourselves as the good ones. We're not like those people over there. You see what happens when we get caught up in cycles of hypocrisy and self-righteousness and self-defensiveness, which is so easy in the kind of embattled conversations of our culture, is that we lose sight of the central truths of the gospel. As Tim Keller once said, the gospel says at the same time and simultaneously, you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared to believe. And yet you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared to hope. I think another thing that's been clouding our vision potentially in this season is a strong sense of individualism. Now, don't get me wrong. One of the great things of this country is the way in which we are able to express our personal particularities and desires in, in some fresh and unprecedented ways. And yet one of the kind of double edges to that sword is that we can easily get caught up in an individualism of sorts, where we focus on our own needs and safety and dreams and desires and that of our biological families or kin at the expense of the common good. And so when we get tunnel vision and we focus on the individual sometimes at the expense of the community, then our vision of God's purposes in the world can, and his, the extent of what he wants to be on about in his kingdoms can so, so often be distorted. A really conservative evangelical scholar named Bruce Waltke, he was conservative evangelical Old Testament scholar, once reflected on the Old Testament picture of righteousness that is behind Jesus's words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he said this, according to the Old Testament, the righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. And on the opposite hand, the wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community 
in order to advantage themselves. I thought that was a really, really challenging way of talking about righteousness in the Old Testament for me. See, not only can self-righteousness distort our vision, but an over-focus on the individual can sometimes distort our vision. But also, an over-focus on the collective can distort our vision. And I think we see this sometimes in certain forms of nationalism in this season. Nationalism can be a good thing. There is a proper and classical and Christian sense of love of country, seeking the welfare of one's nation and praying for one's nation. But when nationalism becomes problematic is when it becomes a form of exceptionalism. I remember becoming very aware of this when I once visited Paris and this uh, Saint-Chapelle in Paris, this beautiful little chapel that is known for its towering walls of stained glass windows um, that are depicting the whole biblical narrative and biblical story. There in these stained glass windows, there are some 12,000 biblical scenes depicted for the human eye to see. And it surrounds you on all sides. So it has this sense of ensconcing you in the biblical narrative. It's a wonderful um, enthralling experience. But one of the harrowing things about this, one of the kind of surprising things about this is that Old and New Testament come to the culmination at the front of the chapel. And it culminates in the story of the French crown. <laughs> so the whole biblical narrative is told in this beautiful stained glass as coming to fulfillment in France, in the power of the French king. And it's seen that France has become the fulfillment of the biblical narrative and God's chosen instrument of light and hope in the world. And it reminded me once again, just how easy it is for us in every time and place in every nation to become convinced that our particular nation or our party or our political view is specially chosen and anointed by God to have unique prosperity and influence in the world. And what can so easily happen for us is we can start to conflate loyalty to God with loyalty to our country or our party or our political views. And it can start to distort our view of God's kingdom, of Christ's kingdom, and of the church, which is this multi-ethnic, transnational nation that has brothers and sisters all over the world and across the world. So I think in this time, this self-righteousness that can creep in, this individualism, and this unhealthy nationalism that can creep in, are a few of the things that are, that are potentially causing our eyes to be out of focus and to miss Christ and miss his kingdom in this season. Jesus is saying to us, he's inviting us, I think, for, to experience a transformed vision. You see this, uh, for example, in the Philippians reading in our liturgy today. Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, I think Paul is saying to us, don't be anxious. Whatever is going on in your lives, um, whatever is threatening to distort your vision, bring it to God in prayer, and let his peace transform your heart and mind. Let his peace guard your heart and mind. Let his peace fill your heart and your mind. 
I think there's a couple of practical ways you can go forward with this in terms of if you feel like your your vision has become distorted, and, and I was feeling even that way this last week in the season, um, how can we refocus? And, and just a couple suggestions is, is use the, you go to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is all about this big picture view of the world that Paul lays out and then what it looks like to practically live in light of it. In the morning, you could read in like 10 minutes, the first three chapters, which lays out Paul's big worldview. And then in 15 minutes in the evening, you could read the second three chapters, which lays out what it looks like practically for us to inhabit this worldview. And another thing you could do is you could take the book of common prayer. And towards the end of the book, there's, there's prayers for all sorts of occasions. And there's sets of prayers, five or six prayers each for, for nations, there's prayers for societies, and there's prayers for those that are in particular need. And I would just invite you, pray through those things. Pray for our nation. Pray for our society. Pray for those in your life that are in particular need. And let those prayers from, from our, our Anglican heritage actually kind of help transform your vision about these very important areas of life. So Jesus says to us first that human beings are investors. Our hearts follow our investments. Then he says human beings are visionaries. Our lives follow our big worldview, our vision of life. And then third, he says human beings are servants. And we can only be devoted to one master. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, says Jesus. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, Jesus just assumes that every human being serves someone. It's not a matter of if you're serving someone, it's a matter of who are you serving. And Jesus is not saying that like possessions or money, mammon is bad in of itself. He's not saying that owning or seeking or acquiring personal possessions is bad. He's not saying that making wise provision for the future is bad. He's not saying that enjoying the good gifts of creation is bad. He's simply saying that a person cannot serve both God and mammon simultaneously. We cannot ultimately have shared loyalties. And the fact that Jesus uses the image of slavery from the ancient world drives this point home. As one commentator put it, he said, an employee can, can work for two employers. That's feasible and possible. But in the ancient world, no slave could be the property of two owners. For single ownership and full-time service are of the essence of slavery. Single ownership and full-time service are of the essence of slavery. You see, I think what Jesus is bringing us to here is that if in the previous thing he was trying to highlight for us, maybe where we've had some distorted vision, here he's trying to highlight for us maybe where we've had some disordered loves. Maybe we've put second and third things first. Maybe we've cherished the giver's gifts more than the giver himself. I think that's why covetous, covetousness in the, in the Bible is not simply wanting what rightly belongs to someone else, but wanting something more than God, anything more than God. And I think Jesus is saying to us, because in the next verse, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about 
your lives, I think he is saying to us that when our loves get disordered, when our, our commitments to God and mammon get disordered, we become anxious about our lives. Paul addresses the same thing once again in 1 Timothy 6, and this is what he says. He says, godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's strong language from Paul. And he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, in a season where so many of us are feeling anxious, Jesus wants to deal with not every symptom and every dynamic of anxiety, but he wants to take us to some of the root causes. He wants to say to us, if you're feeling anxious, maybe consider your decisions around where you're investing and where you're seeking your security. Maybe consider your decisions about what you allow to shape your imagination and, and to shape your big picture vision and view of life. And maybe consider your decisions about who you are serving, whether it's really God himself or whether it's some aspect of his good yet penultimate creation. If you're anything like me, anxiety can sometimes creep up most strongly at the end of the day when one has ceased working <laughs> and is in those final moments of silence and stillness before it is time for rest. And there's this lovely little prayer from, from the Book of Common Prayer. It's the Canadian Book of Common Prayer. And it's for families in the evenings. And it's a, freed, it's a prayer for freedom from anxiety and worry. So let me pray it for us now in conclusion. O oh Lord, who has pity on all our weaknesses, put away from us worry and every anxious fear, that having ended the labors of the day as in your sight, and committing our tasks, ourselves, and all that we love into your keeping, may we now that night has come, receive from you the priceless gift of sleep, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I speak these things to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.